can read a little from the Satipatthana Sangyutta, collected discourses on Satipatthana. Satipatthana used to be translated as foundations of mindfulness, has since been reformulated as establishments of mindfulness. Sati Upatana, so it means it's a, it's a elision of Sati and Upatana. Upatana means you place something on. Uh, so it shifts the way you configure mindfulness as something that's already established, already got a foundation, and you place it on these particular areas rather than. It rises from these particular areas, so it's, it precedes these particular domains uh, of the four kaya, vedana, chitta, dhamma. Kaya, body or embodiment, vedana, tone of feeling, pleasure, pain, then uh, either psychologically, emotionally, physically based, chitta. Heart awareness, how one's heart, one's awareness is affected. And Dhamma's phenomena that are crucial, the key points of where we get stuck and where we get liberated. Um, So these are the four. When we consider them like that, the Buddha said, these are your, this is the place you should go to. If you stay within these, Mara won't get you. So it's like something you actually enter into these these territories, these domains, with sati. So again, this that sense of entering into gives a slightly different you know, reflect upon it, slightly different approach. You know, something you establish and then you move in there, and. Uh, Obviously, this, this, this is just one list in the canonical Pali Canon. You've got many, many lists. And uh, one of them is the seven enlightenment factors, which Sati stands at the top. And the next one is Dhamma Vijaya, exploration. Vichaya means to move around within. <laughs> like vichara. Chara is, is conduct. Uh, chara is conduct. So vicha, vicha means uh, you know you're moving around within something. Exploring it. Again, that's perhaps a slightly different suggestion. Yeah. You know, it's rather than Thinking about something, it's exploring it. How is this? What's going on in here? How does this operate? Mm. <laughs> and there's these four. And one thing we uh, notice in that very setup is well, there's body. As jitta, feeling, phenomena, there's no visual consciousness, no ear consciousness, no taste consciousness. <laughs> so it's 
So maybe this chitta isn't, isn't mind consciousness because the consciousnesses are not there. The vijnanas, they're not there. Because uh, you can't get inside them. You know, you know particularly the, the, well, you could say that these four are the interiors of the body consciousness, the interior of the mind, of the mind, mental consciousness, but the others, there's no interior to them. What does that mean? Well, let's explore. Mm. Let's just put that one there. Now, I'm choosing this sutta because this is connected discourses and it seems from um, the general understanding of how the suttas were established, collected, was they were gradually swept together, built up out of various accounts, memories, what the Buddha had said, some actually verbatim as best people could, by teams of people who learned to recite some of these teachings. And they come in different different heaps. And this, this process of what they call the heaps and the kayas that took a, quite a while to get established. First of all, you've got just bits and pieces flying around. You know, it's a forest community of wanderers. They didn't have books. They didn't have digital tape recorders. They didn't have... So just remembering it. I remember when the Lord said this. I remember when he said that. Okay, yeah, he showed it was all the time. So they, I remember this great, incredible analogy again, it's similarly. So they got swept all this together. And they started off with, it seems that the, the um, connected, it's, it's all, a lot of it's very scraps, scraps. It's a collage, bits and pieces. And then you gradually build that into these more established majima. We've got something that's a pretty nicely established text and you've got the long discourses where it's a, it's an, everyone is like a short story there's a whole narrative event and various personae and you know devas and brahmas drop in and it's kind of it's a real pantomime thing or drama thing so you see that's probably pretty late when they've really got it established and they're kind of tuning it up to make it nicely presentable yeah but the early stuff is pretty much the raw material so when we generally go to the, the connected discourses for perhaps the earlier material, and then you see how they've collected it. And particularly with Satipatthana, you've got two later collections of it. One of the middle-length discourses, which is pretty you know, cohesive. And then they did the same thing, made it a long discourse, but they tacked a few more bits onto it. Otherwise it's verbatim. So you can see that process where something starts out being a, a collage effect into trying to become a unitary text. And then they thought, oh, we've got this unitary text, let's put some more into it. So the, the, the four, in the long discourse, you've got a whole much larger section of dhammas. And, um, you know, when you actually try to think of the reality of this, because they're both given in the same, they're both accredited to the same town, which is actually several hundred miles away from where the Buddha was living. It's somewhere north of Delhi, where the Buddha was over near Varanasi. So this is clearly some kind of, what's going on here? They put it in a different place. The Buddha wasn't even there. 
And they said he gave two discourses which are exactly word for word the same <laughs> in the same town and nowhere else. And the second one, he just tacked another lot on the end of it. No, this is clearly not. Uh, this is a later concoction, isn't it? You know, uh, they've kind of dressed it up a bit. Material may be authentic, but, uh, you know, not disputing the material, but the, the compilation. So we look at these earlier ones, you begin to see the, the kind of some of the, some of the repeated themes that are repeated in there that seem to be running through the whole of this sequence of this Satipatthana being developed. And all of them have these four bases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in this particular collection, there's no quietness of breathing, which is interesting. <laughs> So clearly the Buddha did teach mindfulness of breathing, so you can imagine when they did the compilation, they thought, oh, we'll put mindfulness of breathing in there too, because he taught that. So it's mindfulness, we'll put it in there. That appears at the first, in the, in the, in the first one of the body section. So it seems they put that at the top of the list. You know, they stick a bit on, so they put it at the beginning or the end. They stuck that one at the beginning because when you look in this collection, it's not there. But what is there? Let's look at um, Satipatthana Sanghita's 47th book of the Connected Discourses, and this is the, the third sutta where some monk asks the Buddha to teach him the Dhamma in brief. Um, so that having heard the Dhamma from the Blessed One, I might dwell alone, withdrawn, diligent, ardent, and resolute. And the Buddha <laughs> gives a rather strange reply. <laughs> it is in just such a way that some foolish persons here make requests of me. But when the Dhamma has been spoken to them, they think only of following me around. <laughs> so the bhikkhu says, oh, please, just give me the basic gist of it. I promise I'll learn it. Okay. <laughs> Rather than keep following you around, asking you questions. <laughs> <laughs> well then, bhikkhu, purify their very starting point of wholesome states. And what is the starting point of wholesome states? Virtue that is well purified and view that is straight. Then, because when your virtue is well purified and your view straight, based upon virtue, established upon virtue, you should develop the four establishments of mindfulness in a threefold way. So saying the foundation is basically right view. Virtue, right view, there is cause and effect. There is the arising of skillful states. If they're pursued, they, they're fulfilling. So that's the basis. So having got that one down, you then develop the four establishments of mindfulness in a threefold way. And what are the four? Here, Bhikkhu, dwelling, contemplating the body, in the body, internally, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. Dwell contemplating the body in the body externally, ardent, clearly comprehended, mindful, 
having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world, dwell contemplating the body in the body internally and externally, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. And he says the same refrain with regard to feeling or feelings, pleasure, pain, neutrality, and also mind or chitta or chum calling heart in this particular session. And phenomena, that is dhammas that are pertinent to the process of suffering and removal of suffering internally, externally. And contemplating the body and the body internally ardent, one is enthusiastic, one is clearly comprehended or sampajano is the term, mindful sati, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. Now, we come a phrase internally, externally, the Pali's ajata bahita, and this can also mean here, there. So it's it's been kind of established as internal, external is the way that it translates. This gets passed on. Um, let me just pause on that because we come to an interpretation which has become standardised. External means other people's bodies. What is other people? Uh, uh huh. You're contemplating other people's bodies. Uh, be careful if you do that, because you know people could take some objection to that. If you, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh huh. And if you're dwelling ardent on your own, who are these other people you contemplate? <laughs> So is it possible it could mean something else? Possibly. Mm. Well, my suggestion <laughs> is uh, external refers to the body that you can sense through the external consciousness. That is tactile. Your body as you sense it. Your body as you see it. Other people's bodies as you see them, obviously. Dead bodies as you see them. Bits of bodies as you see them. Something you can detect with that realm of sense consciousness. Internally, because you can do that on your own. Internally, you go to the interceptive sense. How does the body feel in itself? What is a body internally? Warmth? Difficult to say, really. It's a presence, it's alive. I know it's alive because there's some dynamic there. It can feel sometimes strangely turbulent. 
constricted, imbalanced, hot, numb. And I contemplate it internally. Maybe I sense this area that I call the head seems to have a lot of in it, and the area called the legs doesn't have much in it. Mm. So it's, it's a yeah. There's that. It's giving a sense of it's. It's got a dimension to it, an internal dimension. That internal dimension has stress and also can be suffused with breathing or vitality. This is definitely a possibility. External tactile sensations, tingling, warm, prickly. Now just contemplate that, that series of sensations experience. It's not the same as the visual one. And it's not the same as my idea of my body. It's kind of anonymous. It's just a thing. It's just the qualities arising within one's awareness. One's aware of that externally. One's aware of it internally. bringing them together, experience the body relaxing, you're relaxing internally, the sensations in the body shift. When you move, walk around, the movements stirring internally to get the movement going, tactile sensations shift and change. Sometimes you lose the external body. Just go of thought, you don't hardly sense it, or you only get a bit of it. Sometimes you kind of don't really pay attention to the internal body because you're going out into sights and sounds. Um, so then, you know, the Buddha is saying you should stay within this frame of reference because this is where you're going to deal with, come to terms with, sense of identity, sense of um, personality, um, suffering and stress as it arises. Because when you directly contemplate body internally, externally, or both, you can't really find a a person there. You find phenomena and you might be find 
inclinations, like I don't want this, I like more of that, why am I that going on? But the body doesn't hold it, doesn't have that. That's something that's being pressed into it. It's being identified with rather than having an identity. And could it be possible that just by actually knowing, realizing, sensing it as it is, that need to have an identity about it would be put aside. You don't need an identity to walk up and down. In fact, you probably get off better without it. Because once you get an identity, you've got to think, are you good at walking up and down? Why are you walking up and down? Is it going to make you feel better? And who's got the best way of walking up and down? This is my way of walking up and down. So and so does it. No, let's just stop that. <laughs> and how does the body walk up and down so the internal sense feels comfortable? Not stressed. There's, there's eagerness, sense of willingness in there. And the external body is similarly comfortable, not stressed to merging together. This is the case. When one is focused in such a way, it's liable. There will be a reduction in immediate suffering and stress and also uh, some understanding of what causes the suffering and stress, which is this identification, which puts pressure on it. which puts demands upon it, which says, I want an experience out of this. I don't want this experience, I want another one. Just consider the I am is the experience of wanting to have an experience that one isn't having and not wanting to have an experience that one is having. Those two trends, bhava and vibhava, are the basis of identity. Without that, there's a body, internally, externally, and there's a sense of eagerness, interest in this, that's there. Factors of attention are there. And then we come across another term there, sampajana, which is uh, translated as clearly comprehending. There are a number of ways that could be translated. They're all okay, you know, because the word itself has three parts to it. Sam means thoroughly, part means completely, jhana means knowing, thorough, complete. Well, pajana is generally considered direct knowing. You could say thoroughly, directly knowing kind of sensing, sensitive to. Because it's not adding thoughts, it's distinct from manyati, which means to consider and construe. So manyati is definitely figuring things out. Pajanati is definitely directly sensing. So it's a directly, fully sensitive to, with this, entering this experience, that direct, thorough experience. So direct experience does not add anything that is, it just directly experiences. It doesn't add an interpretation. It doesn't add an identity. Here it is. If there's one there, I'll have it, but I don't see one. 
and Sampajano uh, is fleshed out as having four attributes to it. One is supaya, it's comfortable, it's appropriate, it's fitting, it's manageable. It's, you see, you, it fits you, you can settle into that, you can do it, it's within your reach. So you're not straining, there's no straining to be, have some experience you're not having, or to make it better than it is, or to, you know, get upset about it. It's just, that sits, that's the only body I can be with that. I can, I can get that focus. Um, it has a purpose to it. Atta, atta sampajana, atta sampajana. Atta means meaningful, purposeful, useful, that which has a sense of purpose to it. So there's a sense in which sampajana is, let's be with what's really relevant in this, what's purposeful. Um, for Disbanding stress, suffering, pressure, disappointment, you know. Let's get on to this having this purpose in mind. We haven't got the purpose, it's not there to come up with ideas, I want liberation, or maybe that's a reasonable idea, but, but really what hinders, what is the purpose is to clear that which you know directly obstructs and hinders and to dwell in what you know directly fulfills, enriches, releases. Let's take it like that. Where it's going to go to, we'll find out. Concentration here is not a word, hasn't arisen yet. Uh, it doesn't arise in this particular teaching. So let's put that one aside. So we could say this is concentrating. We're definitely getting coming to terms with something. We're meeting it. We're focusing on it. But it's not this kind of nailed down, you know, fixation state. There's some fluidity there. Dhamma Vijaya, you're exploring. Some pajana, you're finding what's comfortable, suitable. You have to find that yourself. Mm. Purposeful. Mm. Another feature is gochara. It's contextual. It's contextual. Called right resort. So we might say, in the context of walking, in the context of walking, what comes within your focus? Well, I guess walls, <laughs> walls, trees, floor, space, other people. You're aware of those because you've got to navigate externally. You're aware of that, you know, because otherwise you, you can't walk unless you have that contextual awareness. So you've sent, you're sensitive to that. You're also the resort of your own internal aspect. So you get the whole thing. Are you walking in a way that is uh, contextually appropriate to your internal state? So if your energy is low, you walk walk slowly. If your energy is high, you might walk briskly. 
if you need a bit more vigoration, you might walk quickly. You kind of make your practice fit. And again, this means you can't have a set idea. This is how you walk. You're not focusing on a particular point in your body to do that. You've got to do the whole thing. How is this working? Right? Another one is non-delusion. It means whatever arises, you you understand this is called origination phenomenon. Whatever ceases is called ceasing. None of it is called myself. None of it is something to say, aha, I've got it. This is it. No. Nothing that rises is, oh no, this shouldn't be here. No. You recognize this is, as soon as that fixation occurs, grasping, clinging, favoring preferences, you're going to mess the process up. This should be understood, comprehended. This is disagreeable phenomenon. This is agreeable phenomenon. Disagreeable phenomenon is like this. Agreeable phenomenon is like this. And nature is to rise, originate, have an origin, move, be sensed, be felt, pass on. So you have, this is the right view. So cultivating like that. As we consider such a presentation, it definitely reminds us what our attention is supposed to be like. It is a whole body. It is sensitive. It is responsive. It's able to be adjusted. It is deeply receptive, listening in what's happening how is this and that receptivity is not passive it's not numb it's not just blank staring at something that's passive active is when it's trying to get somewhere make something happen and get focused no receptive is it is focused It's focused on a boundary called, in this case, the body, first establishment, externally, internally, and together. That's that's well established and it has to be sustained. So this isn't sort of drifty daydreams. So it's definitely attentive. But having generated that kind of loop of attention, you dwell within that, Receiving, exploring, comprehending, rising and passing of phenomena. And the Buddha is saying, this is what you need, in brief, for liberation. 
Now, if we realize there's quite a lot of stuff left out there, isn't there? You could say, uh, you know, and maybe he's saying it in brief, but it's things such as things he doesn't mention. He doesn't mention a lot of subsequent technology of meditation isn't there. We don't have kalapas, we don't have, um, you know, mind moments aren't there. Um, there isn't even, we pass there isn't even there. <laughs> you know, where do all these things go? Moment by moment attention, moment by moment isn't there. There's no moments. Because there isn't a moment. The only moment is, it, you know, is the presence. It's not a moment, it's, it's ongoing, isn't it? If it's a moment, how long is a moment? Half a second, quarter of a second, tenth of a second, a nanosecond, a giga nanosecond. How long is a moment? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's an endless reduction, isn't it? And what do your mind do for that? It narrows right down. Narrows right down. Is that necessary? Is it helpful? Is it sapaya? Comfortable? Useful? Do we need it? Couldn't present be just present? You know, without thinking of the future or pushing to the future or dragging the past along, wouldn't that be adequate? Within which you experience something that's constantly fluctuating shimmering, pulsing, sinking, flaring, suffusing. The reality of experience presenting itself. And staying within that, because if you sustain that kind of loop so you enter into that particular defined boundary called body, right? And if you don't seek a particular point within it, but keep the whole thing in mind, you realize within the whole thing is a constant shifting dynamic happening. You contemplate that. Where does it become more comfortable, stable? It becomes more comfortable and stable when it feels balanced. Yeah, that's right. So there's too much in the shoulders that doesn't feel so good. Too much in the head doesn't feel so good. Let's get the whole thing balanced, equal. And then you begin to realize, you know, I mean, it's so amazing that the default that is completely never questioned, I am in my head. I, that's my head, it's where I am, and I kind of look at things from there, and that's all down there, the body's sort of underneath it, and there's an underneath bit down there. And the real centre is up here. It's where all the good stuff happens. What? 
Well, that's true if you're looking at sense consciousness, because you've got the eyes and the nose and the ears. And the, but we said, don't forget that. Let's not go there. Just go to the head as a lump. A lump. It's not a bad lump. Let's not be negative about it. But there's that, and it's a neck, and it's a shoulder, chest, it's back, ribs, belly, maybe I'm standing legs, it's the whole thing. Do I need to be one part of it? Could it just be in all of it? Oh. And even just that shifting of one's view, the whole body means everything is equal. So then realizing perhaps one's energy is by default located primarily up in the sense aspect of the head, let's just draw it down, counterbalance with chest. Imagine I lived in my chest and the head was a kind of attic I'd go up to from now and then <laughs> to look out what other people are doing. I live down here. What would it be like then? Oh, suddenly the energy starts to drain from my head. It feels good. What about if I lived in my belly down there? Oh. So you just start to redress the balance until maybe you can say, what if I lived in all of it? Even the fingers, the arms, walking, the whole body, the legs, the feet, the soles of the feet, everything. I wasn't just contracted into one zone that then viewed the other zones as if this zone was the one and all supreme. Because internally, no. Externally, no. It's not true. It's just a series of sensations, no more significant than your elbows, or your shoulders. Why give so much attention to it? Because of sense consciousness. Now if we relax that, go inside the head, Moisture in the mouth, cavities, sense of space opening in the in the sinuses, in the throat. Breathing, whole body breathing, all of it, everything, expanding, subsiding with this energy moving through it. Experience is one of Suffusion. Uh, suffusion, something like a, that's immensely soothing, cohesive, unifying. Forty-seven ten. 
When a bhikkhu dwells contemplating body in the body, ardent, clear, comprehending, mindful, remove covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world, there arises in him, based on the body, either a fever in the body or sluggishness of mind, or the mind is distracted outwardly, the bhikkhu should then direct his mind towards some inspiring sign, nimitta. Where do you find that? Well, sluggishness, distracted outwardly, I would say the sign is one, we find a sign somewhere that's easeful, comfortable, balanced, stable, gives you that impression. Yeah, I'm here. Maybe I just need, if I just give a little more attention to an in-breath or to the whole expanse of my body or to the skin boundaries, perhaps that sluggishness will dissipate. So you start to do this Dhamma Vijaya, exploring, you know, where does the sluggishness drive me? You know, sinks me. Where does, where does it, where, where can I, in what way can I move out of that? Whole body. Open the eyes, open the skin boundaries, brighten, pick up the inhalation, rising within this very body till the sign arises of I'm comfortable, I'm stable, I'm no longer struggling. Notice he just says, it's up to you, you find it, where it is. When he directs his mind towards some inspiring sign, gladness is born for moja. Moja is associated with like the same root as mudita, an appreciation, a joyfulness, a gladness. Oh, yeah. I found something skillful. Yes. Hmm. When he is gladdened, rapture is born. A feeling of zest. Uplift. When the mind is uplifted by rapture, the body becomes tranquil, pasambayam, soothed, steadied, comforted, ah, no longer struggling, no longer crumpled. Numb, soothed, no longer stressing and struggling. One tranquil in body experiences happiness, sukha, ease, mental quality, emotional quality, ease. The chitta of one who is happy becomes concentrated. Because it is happy, it doesn't go anywhere else. Because it's based upon the whole body, it's not cutting something out. It's happy. It's collected in itself through its own happiness, its own ease.
gathered together. Purpose, he reflects thus, the purpose for which I directed my mind has been achieved. Let me now withdraw it. So he withdraws the mind, does not think or examine. He understands without thought and examination, internally mindful, I am happy. Okay. So the first scenario we've got sort of actually is definitely working with some things and he's having to put his attention on something and how's that and how's that and this is called this vitaka, putting your attention on, just placing it on something there, 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 no, that doesn't work. Vichara, sensing it, is this good? Yeah, no, no, wait, I'll just, ah, that's it, yeah, let's sense that, ah, getting it, ah, no, no, ah, 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 oh, ah, yes, ah. <laughs> Now, that's, that's settled. Now I can just relax that. Ah. This, so this is called absorption. Yeah. We, you know, you've actually, the mind has completely gone into it. It doesn't need this, this uh, tweaking to, to set it in. It has been established. It has fully entered into. So then you just don't need that anymore. So this is, you know, then we have that's our mindfulness, double vijaya. Yeah. Conducted with virya, a sense of energy, leads to rapture, leads to ease, to samadhi, yeah. evenness of mind. There's seven enlightenment factors coming together around, around that. Just in this very body, foundation one. It's a really interesting and uh, quite, I think the things that aren't there make it, it's quite light on detail. But the detail he does point out are details that are known through direct felt, sensed, chitta experience, chitta experiencing things, not calculation. The jitta being receptive, not constantly trying to make something happen, trying to get somewhere. The jitta exploring, rather than fixating on a point. The jitta experiencing the whole body, balancing it, steadying it, Soothing it rather than focusing on a particular area. So we see quite a quite a, a presentation there in the Satipatthana. Sitting, standing, walking, reclining. This is our territory, domain, with which the defective territories, the defective world of Stress and imbalance and discord and self and not mine and this is mine should be and could all that it dissolves the ending of stress. So 
So take some time for direct practice. As you're getting cultivating this interoceptive sense, means your awareness of the body as a subjective, sensing, living entity, you know, bounded by the experience of having a boundary. Forget the visual boundary. You know, you definitely the body experiences a tactile boundary to it. But that's just the series of sensations. You don't have to feel you're inside that or outside. It's just something arising in your awareness, tactile qualities. Then the internal sense, the dynamics of the body, whether it's fluid, ragged, jumpy, um, numb, or only bits of it are there. That's what most of us need to work with because by default we've tended to be very much external, this area is uncultivated, so smoothing, unifying, balancing, steadying the entire internal experience of the body, not head-based, not head-based. If it is head-based, look to opening, widening that boundary to include the entire form, felt form, as you sense it. And if you think that's it, try and wind it a little bit, a little bit further. You really got it? Yeah. Okay, what about your back? Have you got that? Oh, yeah. Have you got your legs yet? Oh, yes. Feet? Uh-huh. You know, because we kind of think we got it until you realize, you start checking. What about the lower back? What about the ribs? What about the sides of the body? Thighs. Have you really got it? It's all there. It's all alive. It's all sensitive. How does it fit together? As one fluid entity. Do some walking. Do some standing. You know, work it out till it becomes a domain that you can enter and experience happiness within. <laughs>